This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. Everybody and welcome to Keep Screaming, a podcast where two best friends dissect horror movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. This is my co-host, B-Bass. Hi. So if this is your first time tuning into the show, what we do is we pick one slasher every two weeks, and then we go over every aspect of the film from history to poster, composer, actors, screenplay, everything. Um, so if you don't want to be spoiled, make sure you go and watch the movie. At the end of the show, we rank the movies on our list, which you can find at our website, which is keepscreaming.com, and the list is keepscreaming.com slash the dash list. This will be our 18th movie, so 36 consecutive weeks of doing this now. Um, We are at least keeping up, which is good. Um, What does that mean? I mean, we're like, you know, like we could probably, you're very good at consistently putting out stuff with this, with the, with this, the podcast, but I need to be better at it. But like, we're at least every two weeks giving you a new show, which consistency is key. Yeah. Uh, So keepstreaming.com is where you can find us. We're also at podpeople.me, which is our host. um, That is Brandon Klein, our producer and our podcasting network. We have a lot of other really good podcasts on there, so you check those out too. Absolutely. Um, We're also on Twitter and Instagram at ScreamingCast. And then you can find us on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Stitcher. Uh, We're working on getting on Google Play and then maybe one day Spotify when they decide to actually recognize that we're a podcast. Who knows? Uh, at the beginning of every episode, we do a quick pop culture check-in, sometimes not so quick. Maybe not this week, because we watched like a thousand things. Yeah, guys, I'm really proud of myself. We watched a lot of movies this week, but it's kind of to give you a glimpse at who we are outside of just slashers, although we still watch a lot of horror and slashers outside of just what we're watching for the show. Uh, but occasionally, you know, we'll tell you about something we read, or uh, this week I'm going to talk about something I've been listening to. So... That's what we're going to do now. I'm going to go first because B has a thousand of them. Um, so I'll do my two that she doesn't have, and then we'll tie in together with the one we both watched. Um, just real quick, I don't have too much to say about it, but Panic! The Disco's new album came out. We don't talk about music too much, but B and I are both super into music. It is a huge part of both of our lives, even though neither of us are musicians. Um, mm-hmm. But music still matters a whole lot to us, so... That new album came out and it has been pretty much on steady repeat. So good. Yeah, it's, it's so good. It's fantastic. I think if you haven't listened, if you're like one of those people who's like, oh god, Panic the Disco, and you haven't listened to them since like 2008, you definitely need to go listen to it because it's much different and uh, Brendan Urie's style has changed a lot and it's fantastic. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, I also watched Rampage, the Dwayne the Rock Johnson movie based on the video game Rampage, which when of course. When it came out, I was like, this is stupid. Um, Wait, is this the... The giant wolf, giant monkey, giant lizard. Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Yeah, Jeffrey yeah. Dean Morgan's in it. Okay. So it's... it's uh, The new one. Yeah, it's The Rock. Yeah. It's Jeffrey Dean Morgan. It's... Um, Something else I like. Some other people. Uh, oh, um, Malin Ackerman's in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good people. It's 
by no means like oh my god that's an amazing movie but it's a very fun blockbuster like popcorn flick um there's the rocks in it. because the rocks in it yeah. there's some goofy stuff jeffrey d morgan's got a southern accent it's oh, super yeah. charming mm-hmm. yeah um there's some cool action stuff um it's it like you know they make some loose tie-ins to the video game if you grew up playing the video game so it's kind of fun it's not like i said it's nothing like amazing it's a good like one-two punch with jumanji it's like oh the rock's doing like these movies that like outdoor kind of like big uh wilderness like action movies and and they're fun um and then uh we both watched thoroughbreds uh so if you haven't seen thoroughbreds it wasn't a24 but it feels like an a24 movie yeah it was spotlight yeah i think it was spotlight who did it um director Corey finley who i don't He's only done like a short before. Yeah, it's base. It's his debut, um, full length. He wrote it too. Uh, yeah, stars um, Anya Taylor Joy, Olivia Cooke. Uh, the big reason that we both really want to see it is it's Anton Yelkin's last movie before he passed away, and we're both huge Anton Yelkin fans. Um, we love him, and my chest tightens just hearing his name. Yeah, everything he ever did. We're giant. Mm -hmm. We're both huge proponents Mm -hmm. of the Fright Night remake. Love him in Star Trek. Love him in Green Room. Charlie Bartlett. Oh, Charlie Bartlett. He's just great in everything. He Star was Trek. Yes, Star Trek. Star Trek. All three of the Star Treks. Star uh, Trek. Oh, so, my heart. Anton. We love you. We, we love miss you. you. We wish you were in this movie more. That was one of our complaints about the movie, actually, is he's not in it a whole lot. So I think I was telling B I liked it, and she, and she liked it. We were texting about it, and... Um, I didn't like it as much as I thought I was going to, and mm-hmm. I ran into an issue that she didn't didn't run into, but because um, I listened to so many like podcasts about movies in general, but also it's horror tangential kind of. Um, it's a thriller. Yeah, it's a thriller. Um, and Anya Taylor Joy and Olivia Cook are both in a lot of horror like genre stuff. Uh, Olivia Cook's in Bates, Bates Motel. and excellent in it. Yeah, Anya Taylor Joy has been in Split and uh, The Witch and uh, Marrowbone, so she's all over the place. Um, so lots, uh, and then of course Yelkin and Fright Night and Green Room, so lots of genre actors. Um, and, and for me, part of it was ruined because I read this thing that was like, American Psycho meets Heathers, and I was like, I love both those movies, so that sounds amazing. It's neither it, those it's things. not either of those things at, at all. all. I don't understand the reference. I kind I of guess get the American, American Psycho. Psycho. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Olivia Cook's character is basically a sociopath, but not in the same vein. Not that. at all. Like um, well, I'm blanking on his name now, but Bates something. Is it? It's something Bates, right? Yeah. It's, um, I've only read the book and seen the movie a million times. So. Yeah, but um, Jason, Jason Patrick J- Patrick Bateman. Patrick Bates? I don't know. This is going to yeah, drive me something nuts. Bateman, for sure. Patrick Bateman. Yeah. Okay, so Patrick Bateman... Um, we were getting there. ...has nowhere near, like, the the glee that he has, or, like, the... <laughs> it's just very different. Yeah, um, yeah, so, and then I guess, like, the Heather's reference was maybe because they're teenagers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really don't understand that, like, they... The dialogue, to me, almost is more like a modern-day Dawson's Creek, Gilmore Girls, that, like, really fast mm-hmm. back and forth, but... It's not super like pop referential no. or um, like full like to me it when I say Heather's. It feels very timeless when you watch it. You don't really know what timeline they really live in. 
Me, you know yeah. it's modern. Yeah, you it's, know it's not like they're telling you what music they're listening to. Or yeah, it's not pop culture referential. When at I see all. like when I see something compared to Heather's, I also think of like Clueless. Like it's something mm-hmm. that you can look at the style and look at like the words they're saying, the slang, and you immediately know what they're trying to replicate there. Heather's is very eighties. Clueless is very nineties. Um, this, like you said, it's it could become it's pretty neutral other than the fact that they have like cell phones, so you know yeah. like it's more modern. Uh, it's still a good very, movie. Yeah, it's very, very good. well made, um, <clears throat> very well written, incredibly well acted. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, I think I was a little let down because my expectations were too high. And I think as horror fans, they, uh, you know, didn't want to go as far as I think we would have enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, they tease us with a lot of violence and, um, suspense and never fully goes there so I think that's the biggest thing that was lacking for me I just didn't feel like it was malicious enough for what it was trying to do especially um, with like the way Olivia Cook's character is yes. built up and then the the climax is a little lackluster yeah, um, yeah exactly it just doesn't want to quite go there yeah so. I mean I think it kind of has this overall wraparound message of like because basically what happens with the climax is like it's a little bit like the other Anya Taylor-Joy's character becomes a little bit more like Olivia Cook because of the actions that she takes and, mm-hmm. like, the ending when like when she's talking to Anton Yelkin at the end and the, her delivery of everything. So, I don't know. It, yeah, it plays with the idea of, like, don't judge, like, people mm-hmm. um, by their appearances. One girl, Olivia Cook, is, like, a sociopath and she's known as being one and she's, like, childhood friends with Anya Taylor-Joy's character. And so they're playing with that dynamic where... One is supposed to is your typical bad person. The other one's your typical good person. Mm-hmm. And how, what does that mean in our society? What does that mean when you make poor choices? So and even Anthony Elkins' character plays with that because he's like a convicted criminal, but like they try to rope him into this thing to help them with the crime, and he he's ends like, up like yeah. not having the stomach for it. So it definitely plays with a lot. Of, like B yeah. said, like those notions of like don't judge a book by their cover and all that is really good yeah all that stuff is done really well yeah. it's just um i think if you can go in with no expectations you'll come out very happy because if you go in going this is american psycho meets heathers you're go- you're not going to be super yeah, stoked at the those end those are movies for you yeah exactly movies for us um yeah so that's i that's what i did i work was crazy so i didn't get to watch as much as i wanted to and also just been by the pool a lot um his wife is insane and celebrates her birthday for a week and ryan indulges her and gets her like a gift every week because you know whatever um so be sad you didn't marry ryan i guess because he'll give you a birth a gift every day the week of your birthday um so he was busy taking care of his wife that's true Happy wife, happy life. That is the true statement, everyone. <laughs> you will hear people say it, and you're like, oh, that's what old people say. Nope, that's a fact. Yeah. Works the other way, too. Yes, it does. There's just no catchy rhyme for I it. I know. So. Happy hubs, happy wubs. <laughs> I don't know. Wubba. What's that song? Wubba, wubba. I don't Happy dubs. That just makes me think of Ron. I don't know. <laughs> happy dub. Happy hubs is happy dubs. Yeah, Works for our friend Ron. Yes, and only Ron. <laughs> and only Ron. Uh, okay, I did watch a lot. I just was just a busy, busy little beat, guys. Uh, I can at least chime in on what she's watched because yeah. I've watched she's, He's all probably of them. seen most of yeah. them. Or if all of them. Yeah. Um, I also celebrated by the pool a lot. Mm-hmm. We both um, got drunk. Oh, so yeah. drunk. Yeah. yeah. I vaguely I vaguely remember last Saturday. It's pretty, pretty fuzzy. Yeah. 
That's okay. It was fun. I it was think. fun. I sweat. I like. I was able to drink all day because I kept sweating so much. So yeah, I, mean, I drank all nice. day. I slept for like twelve hours Dude, afterwards. You slept forever. <laughs> forever. Yeah. So yeah. I woke up and Ryan. We then. Oh yeah. And then the next day we went to this like aqua park and did like an obstacle course. An obstacle course, which was hella hard. Yeah, it was. Like forty five minutes in, way we're more all, deceiving. Like, done. Yeah. Like, you know, okay, that was fun. We're done. Ryan texts me the next morning. He's like, how are you feeling? I'm like, great. I slept like 12 hours. I'm good. Good yeah. to go. Because usually after a day like that, be sometimes she can't even get out of bed. So. Oh, yeah. I'm dead. That's usually me on my actual birthday. I have a bad habit of celebrating the night before my birthday, and I usually spend my birthday in bed dying. But no, I'm good. Um, so, yeah, we did a lot of pool stuff, a lot of summer stuff, yep. work again. It's been hot. Been as, if you guys so don't know, hot. we're based in Sacramento, and it's been hot as shit. It's like 107 yesterday. Dude, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's been so Whew. fucking hot. So, I've been in, if I'm not at the pool, I'm inside. Yep. So, watched a lot of stuff. Um, so, I watched Thoroughbreds, obviously. Um, I think I've mentioned it before, but I'll, like, re-mention it for those who are just tuning in new or may have forgotten. Um, I have a gap. And I've always been a big movie fan. I have a huge gap when it comes to action films. I was raised by a single mother who loved thrillers and dramas and comedies. But if the action wasn't based in one of those three things, I didn't watch it. I wasn't exposed to it. Um, so unless, like, the action movie, like, shows really like Tom Cruise, like Mission Impossible, I saw those because... There's she big, well, she loves Tom Cruise, but yeah. also there's usually, like, a pretty big storyline in those. Yeah. That's not just about, like punching or fighting or whatever so anywho i have been like getting pretty good the last year and watching like the classics um with help and like all of our friend ryan's a big action fan our good friend jeremy is a big action fan so derek derek tony pretty much all of our our friends are big in action movies so i've had a lot of fun like letting them expose me to things because i love doing that too so did a lot of that um this week, so I watched Demolition Man, um, which I knew nothing about. I'd never heard of it before at all. It's from 1993. Um, it's Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes and Sandra Bullock, who, when she appeared on the screen, I was like, what? Okay, so in for this, because I did not know that. And Rob Schneider. Yeah, Rob Schneider uh, and Dennis Benjamin Leary. Bratt. Yeah, Dennis Leary. It's got I, a great cast. Yeah, it's a really good cast. It's super, super corny. Oh, yeah. And it hasn't aged well. Mm. At all in the fact that it's set in the future, like 2023, so almost our time. Yeah, five, five years. Yeah, now. and whew, man, all of it was super outdated looking and, and definitely nothing resembled. Like, we've already surpassed what they were even talking about. Except no fast food wars yet. Yeah, none. Fingers none crossed yet. on those soon. So, uh, it was, I had a lot of fun with it. I mean, it was silly, but I, for the most part, I like Sylvester Stallone. He's good in this role. I like future based movies, even if. You know, they don't age well. But I liked the funness of this movie. Like, oh, I look yeah. for that in action films. Like, I'm, I don't, I'm finding myself, I don't really like war movies. I don't enjoy drama based action movies very much. And so, if there's like a more comedy, fun, or sci fi behind it, I have a lot of fun. And so, I love, I really like this Snipes one. in this movie. Simon oh Phoenix. my God. So many like one liners. Yeah. And... It was Wesley Snipes at the height of his powers. Yeah. Like, it was so, I love his like bleach blonde mohawk. And yeah, Simon Phoenix is just like one of the most 90s names ever. It was it's so great. good. Yeah. yeah. So, that was a lot of fun. And then we watched The Last Boy Scout. Um, from 1991, and this is with uh, Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans. 
And Halle Berry is in it for like a little bit, like very early role. Um, Daniel Harris plays Bruce Willis's daughter, so Trampoline. that was fun to see go. her. Um, so there's a little horror tie-in. I loved this movie. Oh, it's Tony Scott directed it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So Tony Scott directed it. Um, Shane Black wrote it. Um, and like I said, all these movies I've never even really heard of. And like I have a major, ridiculous, embarrassing blind spot to action films. So. Didn't know anything going into it. Uh, ben just knows that I really like Die Hard, and for the most part, I like Bruce Willis films that I've seen. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I was so surprised. Like, things keep happening in this movie, and it was so brutal mm. and violent and dark. And I was like, fuck. And then as soon as I found out that Shane Black was the writer, I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. Like, I mean, Iron Man 3, which is the only Iron Man I like. Um... And then, God, so many things. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. Predator. Predator. Uh, the other guys. Monster uh, Squad. Yeah, Monster Squad. Um, uh, yeah, he's doing the new Predator. He's actually writing and directing the new Predator. Um, What else is he doing? That Hellboy, right? No. No, that was Neil Marshall. Oh, right. When we looked up Slap Back. Um, so. But Shane Black is definitely just yes. like one of the, oh, Lethal Weapon. Oh, uh, yeah, the Lethal yeah. Weapons. Yeah. So uh, this movie was, had a lot of heart behind it. Really, it wasn't a comedy with Damon Wayans. It's a little surprising. Um, but I think Bruce Willis is, out of any of these action stars, like the best actor. Um, <laughs> yes. And like he's an actually like a really yeah. good actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this movie just had like a ton of heart behind the story. And, and Tom I, Cruise. I think Tom Cruise yeah. is a really good actor. Yeah. Um, and I really, I particularly enjoyed like the brutality of it and how... Like, it just didn't hold back. And the action in it was super good and super varied, which I liked. I think Tony Scott gets overlooked a lot. because his, So Tony Scott, if you guys don't know, is brothers with Ridley Scott. And Ridley mm-hmm. Scott has directed two of the most influential famous movies of all time with Alien and um, Blade Runner. So when your brother is Ridley Scott, it's kind yeah. of hard to, um, to uh, get noticed as much. And Tony Scott has unfortunately passed away now. Um, he but Top Gun! I love Top Gun. Yeah, I mean, he made Top Gun. He made The Hunger with David Bowie, which is a fantastic movie. Days of Thunder, Last Boy Scout. True Romance, which is amazing. One of my all-time favorites. I really liked Um, Unstoppable. Yeah, Unstoppable, Domino, Deja Vu. Like, he's just, he was a very, very talented, like, action movie director. Uh, I think he gets overlooked a lot. And Tony Scott and Shane Black together, I think, is a really good combination because they both know how to craft an unconventional action movie. So I highly recommend this film. Like, if you haven't seen it, like me, probably not a lot of you, maybe a lot of you, but really, really good. I think even, like, yeah, it's it's not super well known. Yeah, Yeah. which is surprising because it should be talked about more because Mm -hmm. it has a lot to offer. Um, Then because of that, we watched Unbreakable, which I had never gotten around to, which is M. Night Shyamalan, um, and it's like... Known for being a Marvel movie. I mean, it is a Marvel movie, but it was a Marvel movie, right? Marvel? No, it's or not DC? Marvel. No, neither. It's it's like, it's a superhero movie. Oh. But it's like, it's his own universe that he created, which is gotcha. really cool. So it is a superhero movie, but like, it was in a time, because it came out in 2000, so it was like, in a time before... Even Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. it's like before like, Dark Knight came out and like, made you like made it mainstream to have like this dark grounded superhero movie unbreakable came out and like it kind of got overlooked because i mean it wasn't like super overlooked but it kind of did a little because it was a follow-up to like the sixth sense which like 
so after you put out the sixth sense everyone's looking for like a horror movie which it's not a horror movie mm-hmm. um and then like it is a very unconventional superhero story yeah um but i i think it's a fantastic movie um and totally like showcases bruce willis's abilities as an actor i love sam jackson in it because he's super campy mm-hmm. like b-movie acting in a serious movie so i think it's a good like dichotomy between the two and this film is gorgeous mm-hmm. and i have to go back now after watching this one but the way in my Shyamalan films this movie is just like every shot is so well thought out and I just even there's an opening scene where Bruce Willis is on a train and he's talking with another woman and just the camera panning from Bruce Willis and then you that other person will start talking and then the camera will pan and you can just see the seat so you can't really see anybody talking it's just really well thought out and just a really different it's just not a typical way you see films filmed um like actually shot for shot and it was way more artful which I really appreciate and you can tell like the storyboarding process when you're thinking like oh he's at even like the weight bench scene oh, if you like go back and watch great it scene, yeah. and he's having like he's figuring out that he's you know pretty strong and he's having his son like put on more weight and put on more weight and just the way that that entire sequence is filmed um is just really beautiful within itself regardless of the rest of the the scene and the acting what's happening um that could be really boring shot wise filming somebody laying down on a bench but he finds a way to make every single aspect of that super interesting to look at and so that is like one of the things i noticed the most about that film and i'm going to go back and watch some of his other work and see if i notice that more um but really good Oh, man. Oh, horror-wise. Okay, one more action film. I actually watched it this morning. was Escape Plan, which is like 2013. And it's the first movie that Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger actually made together. Yeah. Um, then they came out with The Expendables, which yeah. is like an ultra ultimate, which I haven't seen those yet. Oh, they're fun. Um, yeah, I'm going to get to those. I want to watch some of the older ones. Yeah, and, so you know all and the people. So I know yeah. all the people, so I'll enjoy it more. But anywho, um, I mean, it was fine. I didn't, I won't watch it again, but it was fine. It's fun seeing both of those characters who I like both of those actors together. Mm. Um, And I like knowing that they're friends in real life. But the story and the plot is just so silly. And I kept asking Ben, like, wait, what's going on? And he's like, I was like, this is really complicated for this level of movies. Like, it's just, he's like, it's because you don't watch these types of action films. It's like a normal action plot. But a lot of like, oh, this and this and this and this and this. Um, it's an is- isolated film, like, in a prison, so that was cool. Um, the action was fine. It wasn't anything too interesting. It was more about, like... Them being together. Them being together and, like, them... Tr- old. They're old. Them trying to figure out how to get out. They're so that was so fun. So this movie... So Escape Plan came out... 2013. 2013. So it's five years ago, which means Arnold was... 65... And Sylvester Stallone was uh, sixty six. Yeah. They're old. They're old yeah. guys. So I mean, so props, for being old guys, props are even yeah. still making action movies. Yeah. But when it got to the gun stuff, that was actually really good with yeah. him. And there's a cheesy scene at the end with like um, Arnold, like in a 
literally in a helicopter and it like slow mows when he like gets this machine gun and yep. I just laughed out loud and Ben's like, do you love it? I'm like, no, I actually do kind of love it. Yeah. So it was, I mean, it was fun to watch and if you like those actors, it's worth watching to see it. It's nothing that I would like be like, yeah, you got to see this. Um, I'll end it with, I did finally watch 47 Meters Down. I've been waiting for summer to watch it. Did it come out like last spring, I think? Longer, right? Oh, no, it was last I year. I mean, yeah. it had been out for a while. Yeah, it came out movie. under a weird yeah. title. What was it? And then... It did have a different title. I with the success of This Is Us and Mandy Moore, like, kind of getting revitalized, they, like, pushed it out, came out last spring, and then I just didn't get access... In the Deep, that's what yeah, it was called. Which yeah, which is dumb. Yeah. Um, I didn't get access to it last summer, and so then it went up on Netflix, like, during the fall, and I'm like, nope, I'm waiting till summer to watch it. So I watched it. Guys, this movie's so fucking good. It's so good. It's way better than it should be. I want to do, because I'm super excited for The Meg coming mm, out. Yeah. And I want to do, a, like, The Shallows, 47 Meters Down, then The Meg. Like, yeah. that's what I would like to do. Um, and props to this movie, too, because when it came out as In the Deep and just did nothing, did nothing, and, like, no one cared about it, and then they re-released it, and it made $62 million against a $5 million budget. Yeah. So props to everyone involved in the movie. Um, yeah, so Claire Holt from, for me, Vampire Diaries fame, um, and then what, the originals is, like, the show she moved on to, um, which is a spinoff of Vampire Diaries. Um, neither of those shows are on anymore. Mm -hmm. And Mandy Moore from a million, kajillion things, but she was, like, an aughts heartthrob, um, 90s singer. Now this is us. The voice of Rapunzel and Tangled. She was in Saved, which I love. Saved. Saved uh, Princess Walk Diaries. To, Walk to Remember. Walk to Remember. Yeah. Um, had a deal. She's the best. Yeah, she's great. She's awesome. And she's awesome in general, too. If you follow on Instagram, she just seems like a really cool person. Anywho, super fun to see her in anything. Really small cast. It's about two sisters. You're in Mexico, and they go down into a tank, to like a cage, to shark watch in Mexico, and it's like kind of sketchy. And the whole movie takes place, except for maybe 15 minutes of it, underwater. Yeah. And they're in, like, masks. So as soon as I finished watching it, I had to look up, like, how the fuck did they film this? This is so cool. They literally filmed it in a tank. Yeah. And it was, like, a really grueling process for the actors and the entire crew. Yeah. Um, imagine being underwater to shoot for, like, 10 and 12 hours a day. Yep. And all that logistics. And they have to, like, pour fake sand yeah. into the tank because they're basically at the bottom of the ocean in this movie. Yeah. So they have to pour fake sand and then create this, like, set at the bottom of this yeah. tank. It was insane. Um movie fucks you up too it's, it does it's it super... fucks you up so besides the fact that it's a cool story and you are like wow how'd they film this this is a like cool cast like manny moore and claire holt are both attractive likable actresses this like i was ben walked in i'm like watching it in my bedroom but i'm like just sitting like on top of my bed and i'm literally like staring forward at the tv and he's like you look really engaged i'm like you will not believe I am so fucked up right now. Like, I cannot believe what's happening. And he came and watched, like, the last 20 minutes with me. And it just... I've seen a lot of fucking movies, and it still surprised me. Yeah. It tricked me. And it's very, like... Man, if you are someone who gets freaked out by, like, the infinity of space, they capture that same feeling with Ocean Air yeah. and, like, the emptiness of everything. Yeah. And it, like, I get really bad anxiety with those things. Oh, so it was I, stressful. It took two to I actually had to watch this movie, like, in parts, because I got to a part... In this 
you know the part where she like goes out over the cliff and it's just nothing i was like i'm done and i turned yeah. it off and i was like i had to give myself a day it's really like, anxiety oh, really inducing yeah, and i have super. zero fear of the ocean i have like the opposite problem where i'm probably too comfortable with water um i have no fear of not being able to see my feet oh. i don't have any fear of sharks oh. i don't have any fear of, number one fear yeah i have no fear of any water creatures i was a swimmer for like almost 10 years so i feel like i'm part fish so it just has never bugged me so with that said i was still like on the edge of my bed literally like freaking out the whole film and felt very tense it was a great horror movie um so good there needs to be a shark movie every fucking year yep and we get Um, the meg this year and i'm so excited yeah if you haven't seen the trailer for the meg it just looks like a super fun over-the-top summer blockbuster like shark movie yeah so i'm all about bringing shark movies back yeah i'm so okay with it so keeping a theme with summer um one of the movies that we decided to pick or we decided to watch um is one of our all-time favorites because of the writer who is kevin williamson but the movie is i know what you did last summer um so i know what you did last summer it came out in 1997 if you are unfamiliar well first of all if you're unfamiliar fix it it's two dollars to rent on amazon um, four young friends bound by a tragic accident are reunited when they find themselves being stalked by a hook-wielding maniac in their small seaside town. Uh, came out October 17th, 1997, so right before Halloween, pretty much picked perfect timing for, like, the time. It would have been also suitable for summer, because it... Yeah. A uh, happy coincidence, this episode will come out July 3rd. 2nd. 2nd, yeah, July 2nd, and this, most of the movie takes place on the 4th of July. Or a, Which we didn't realize until we saw fireworks, and we're like, yeah, "Holy shit, we forgot. we're so good!" Yeah, uh, we <laughs> forgot. So happy coincidence. Uh, cost seventeen million, made one hundred and twenty-five point two. This was the slasher boom. Yeah. So it came out one year after Scream. So at this point, people were like really wanting slashers. Yeah, um, they wanted to watch the movies that Scream was making fun of. Yes, exactly. So people like were looking for slashers. This was like a very, very good time for that type of movie. Ryan and I, and maybe we wouldn't feel as excited about it if we were like teenagers at that time, but there's like such a big part of me that wishes I was like 17 when this movie came out instead mm, of like six. 12. How old was I? 10? 9? 97? Yeah. You were 9. Yeah. Yeah. So, but just to think of, like, when this came out in this, like, slasher renaissance that is what made me fall in love with horror. Like, Uh, oh, my heart, like, I just can't, I just want to explode thinking about how exciting that would have been. Yeah. um, Especially if we had the love for the movies that we do now. Yeah. Uh, And we are very excited to talk about this movie because we realize that it's kind of, like, we've been staying away from a lot of the quote-unquote bigger movies. Um, I think, you know, like, with the burning and urban legend those are some of the bigger ones we've done but this is definitely like way way up there as far as like no like notability yeah and famous um b pulled the numbers from box office mojo it is the sixth highest grossing slasher movie of all time so um you have happy happy to report that the top grossing slashers of all time one two and three scream Scream 2 and Scream 3. Of course, yeah. Hallelujah. So, yeah, so Scream 1, 2, and 3 are still the top three. Uh, and then you have Freddy vs. Jason, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and that's the original, not the remake. Because um, it's been released numerous times. Yeah, numerous times. And then at number six is I Know What You Did Last Summer, uh, followed by Friday the 13th, the remake, Nightmare on Elm Street, the remake, Halloween, the remake, and then H2O. So this, top 10. Uh, that's the top 10, which I think is really interesting because it actually kind of shows you that we go through spurts where 
mass, like the consumer wants horror. Uh-huh. Um, because these movies, like, so Scream, Scream 2, Scream 3, Freddy vs. Jason, all came out in the same, like, four yeah. or five years. Late 90s, early aughts. And then we get the remakes, like Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, and even H2O is, like, late 90s, yeah. or, like, mid-2000s, um, mid and late 2000s. Mm-hmm. So we do go through these spurts of, like, different types of horror movies that m- people want to see, um, and that's why B and I keep... Like, really hoping that Happy Death Day helped uh, trigger something so that we get a new slasher craze. Um, Fingers crossed, guys. So far, I haven't really seen anything get announced. Yeah. I mean, we've definitely seen... Well, Tragedy Girls came out, which was great. um, But we haven't seen anything else. Happy Death Day 2 is being worked on. So, uh, But yeah, so number six. So it definitely did very, very well uh, as far as money goes. Reception-wise, not great. 35% 35% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. A lot of the reviews we read basically said, like, either it's kind of weird that Kevin Williamson made a movie that he, right after Scream, that he was kind of parroting in Scream. Mm-hmm. Um, people, like, just stating that, you know, although it's cool, it's not great, like, they like where he was going with it, but they didn't love it. Um, the book Going to Pieces, The Rise and Fall of the Slasher Film, 1978 to 1986 by Adam Rockoff, um, he talks about this and I, I like what he says. Um, um, he said that, you know, this is a much different film than Scream and an excerpt from the book, he says, where Scream relied heavily on self-conscious references and its pop culture veneer, last summer was a throwback to the slasher films of the early 80s. While, like Scream, it employed the services of a group of young, sexy, and almost impossibly good-looking actors, Last Summer played its horror straight. Those looking for a good, old-fashioned slasher film were pleasantly surprised. And I think this describes it perfectly. Mm-hmm. It's that it seemed... I think reviewers were a little confused when it came out because they're like, oh, this is like just a straight slasher horror film, much like in the vein of the 80s films that... Yep scream was talking about yeah and so i think maybe that's why the reception wasn't as great because people weren't expecting this he also wrote it before scream so it makes sense that it doesn't play with any of those ideas that he had in scream it Uh, didn't he couldn't sell it he could not sell the script for this movie scream came out in columbia immediately bought it that's why it came out so fast yeah it's literally a year, a barely Not even a, year. a year. Yeah, after, after December Scream. is when Scream came out. Right? So yeah, yeah. So it's two months shy of a year yeah. of when Scream came out. So yeah, I mean Kevin Williamson was very like hot at the time. Yeah, um, he started Dawson's Creek like less than a year later. Yeah, and like this movie, you know, like we said, it maybe not critically did well, but it raked in cash at the box office, and it was incredibly well known. And it's any any if you talk to anyone horror fan or not. From that grew up in this time, they know this movie. Yes. It was a huge deal, like when it came out. I mean, I think honestly, for its title alone, because it was so like kind of long. It's like yeah. it's a lot. I know what you did last summer, and it just became this thing. And like people always said, it, it was like parodied, like yeah. the scary movies, like parody it. Um, it just became a very iconic uh, slasher movie. Yeah, and uh, iconic for this time because of the cast, which we will talk about. Oh, that cast. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this is an, an an important slasher and an important film, especially for the 90s and the careers of these people. 
Um, the poster's great. It's I mean, so 90s. It's so it's like 90s. exactly what you think of when so you think exactly. of the 90s. So exactly. We talk about this every time we go over the poster that there are trends. Yeah. And this is a straight-up 90s trend. We have our four um, leading cast members. Um, and what I do really like about this poster, so we have um, J-Love up front, and then we have Ryan um, Philippi, Sarah Michelle Geller, and Freddie Prince Jr. like slightly behind her. Um, and they're all like cast in blue. And then you have the title, I Know What You Did Last Summer, which love how that's typeset. It's all cap serif, which is insanely popular for most films, horror films. Um, our, our logo for Keep Screaming is typeset that way. When you look at like all cap serif, it kind of just gives you that it looks like horror. Mm. doesn't have to be in red. It just already looks like horror. Um, I really like how they highlight I Know bigger, um, has more hierarchy than what you did in last summer. And then we have our killer on the poster, which is awesome and wasn't a super popular thing to do. Usually it was just your cast. Right, yeah. Um, and so you see our fisherman with his hook, and his hook is like going through the O. And then... Um, the, the tagline is, if you're going to bury the truth, make sure it stays buried. Yeah. Which is... Um, it has quite a few taglines. That's the one yeah. that made the poster. Some of the other ones include, he's got a hook on them. Uh, the mistake Ugh. they made is coming back to haunt them. Mm-hmm. What started as a new beginning is becoming a dead end. Not all secrets stay buried. Um, for the last year, four friends have kept a secret. All these taglines are so 80s to me, mm-hmm. which is what this yeah. movie is. is a is a contemporary throwback to yeah. an 80s slasher. Because... And we'll get into it more when we talk about the movie. But this movie really, to me, feels like an '80s movie, but with yes. with uh, but with '90s like it. It has all the the earmarks of an '80s movie, but it does what the '90s started to do with horror movies, which is developing your characters. Yeah. But like the actual kill stuff is very '80s, like uh-huh. throwback slasher. Um, yeah, I love the poster. I love the red outline of him. Yeah. Um, and the hook is like very, very notable, um, which I which I enjoy. I also really like the cast members being like all blue for a few reasons. One, because like the opening scene and and what they did last summer was hit somebody on the coast and then throw him into the water. Mm-hmm. And so you get that imagery with water. They live by a coastal town. Yeah. Um, and then another thing, like, I was reading about the cinematographer, and he picked a color, a very muted color palette. Mm-hmm. Um, no bright colors, really dark and blue. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate that the art department took that theme and the notes of the cinematographer and how they styled the film to the poster. Um, because it looks like it belongs in the film, and I really appreciate that tie-in. Um, John Debney did the score, which we oh. both loved. It was a fantastic score. It was score. so good. Um, it's so 100% what we have come to expect from slasher movies and very different from, like, this is what I'm saying. Like, this movie has a lot of, like, things that remind you of the 80s, but a lot of things that are very different. Like, I feel like in 80s, B and I were talking about it, like, 70, 80s horror movies, like, some of them have very, like, kind of weird and, like, um eclectic like soundtracks where like like disjointed yeah very disjointed there'll be like this weird music it's like 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 all these random noises and then when the kill happens you know it's like symbols clapping together almost it's like or like whatever but this does the build up with it just builds it's very orchestral yeah Yeah, lots of cellos lots of piano um and it spends the movie building up and like there's a lot of like 
and it does still do that great thing where like when the killer slashes out with the hook it's like the cello um you know like strikes it's like it has that really sharp that like like but then it doesn't stop no and like in the chase scene like in particular the sarah michelle geller chase scene if you listen to the score during that part because there's so many times so much happening in that scene she's running for her life her sister gets killed um she you, she almost gets caught, like right almost gets caught by him, and then she escapes. Mm-hmm. Then you think she's free, and then she gets killed. Yep. And so all of that happens in her chasing, which is probably probably the best chasing we've covered so far, I think. It's, it's one of my favorite scenes in the um, entire movie. It's yeah. one of the best scenes in the movie. And the way that um, it's scored hits all of those notes perfectly and never stops and helps you know what's happening. I mean, we're seeing what's happening, but it really is scoring the scene as opposed to being like, okay, that happened, here's the music. It's like, no, we're going to build into this. So that entire scene, like rewatch it and pay attention to the score because that's when I think you really go like, holy shit, this is something that... You like, didn't see in the 80s. Because and... the composer's telling a story with yeah. the movie. And, like, it's something I was saying, even with something as iconic as Halloween, which is, don't get me wrong, I think John Carpenter is one of the most talented comp- composers of all time and super underrated, um, <laughs> considering he composes all the mu- yeah. music for his but movies. But as a composer, he's underrated yeah. in the film world. But, like, even Halloween, like, John Carpenter knows what he's doing and he knows how to utilize, like, you know, he has that very, like, well-known score for halloween but even that it doesn't change a lot there's not a lot of ups and downs it's a pretty solid thing he just knows how to use it and how to utilize it with like what's happening it's different style yeah it's a very different style but like with this it has ebbs and flows like the killer's chasing after her she's banging on the door she gets into the store and the music slows down because like the killer is no longer chasing her and then like you know he gets into the store she sees him he's chasing her again the music builds back up he's slicing at her the music like has strikes um it's just very very good it's part of the my one of my favorite scenes in happy death day the bear mccreary score Mm -hmm. where she's in her dorm room and she's like locked the whole door like boarded up her room oh yeah and then she like goes into the bathroom like that scene is very scored very similarly to this scene Mm -hmm. and that is more of our the modern score which i think promotes a slasher above just the kills Mm -hmm. and really helps tell the story with you and helps give you a little bit more anxiety the whole time and feel a little bit more concerned Mm -hmm. and have a little bit more um of the reaction of like there's something coming there's impending doom it just tells you what to feel uh and Debney, this is not surprising because when we looked we realized oh that he is incredibly well known in hollywood yeah. we had to mention that he did hotel for dogs because the book that this is based off of by lois duncan um she also wrote hotel for dogs so i had to mention that but he's done predators jimmy neutron princess diaries the jungle book end of days um ice age he's just been all over the place super well known in hollywood so it makes sense because he is an incredibly talented composer um not a big genre guy though i was trying to find that's why i mentioned end of days it's one of the only other horror ones i can see predators a little um but he does a lot of kid stuff uh yeah a lot of family stuff yeah a lot of stuff um which he just passed but i'm trying to remember the princess diaries um valentine's day that director um oh yeah Super loved. Oh my God, Gary Marshall. Yeah, Gary a Marshall. lot of Gary Marshall films. Yeah. So obviously him and Gary Marshall worked um, 
well together. Uh, Jim Gillespie directed this. He is a Scottish director. He came at the suggestion of Kevin Williamson. He did not do much. Um, he has a couple minor films between this and another movie called Venom, which came out in 2005, so quite a bit later, which Venom was, I think, like produced by Williamson. He was involved somehow, which was another horror movie that took place in like Louisiana. Um, but yeah, it really did not do very much. Uh, Kevin Williamson wrote this movie, and at, <coughs> we've talked about him so much on the show, I did not realize. I was like, wait, because we talk about Dawson's Creek a lot, and um, oh, we which, talk about Scream I'm on a lot. season four. Yeah, Beast powering through Dawson's Creek, and we talk about Scream a lot, obviously. And uh, <laughs> Kevin Williamson is for B and I one of, if not the most important writers in entertainment ever um because of not just what he has written because he has written screen and dawson's creek and vampire diaries and so many things that we love but because of the influence that he has had on like the genres that we enjoy um i would say if you know like the two things that b and i very very much love are slashers and like teen dramas Mm -hmm. dawson's creek forever changed how teen dramas were like is one of the to me most important teen dramas ever made because it was one of the first ones and to a lot of people yeah yeah and to the mat and to like tv critics yeah it was like it was one it was one of the first ones that really took it in an area of like and it's kind of goofy but like teens can talk like adults Mm -hmm. um and teens can make pop culture references and like i i you know like shows like the the oc and gilmore girls probably would not exist without dawson's creek also one of the first teen dramas to introduce storylines with the parents yes that you actually that aren't just the parents like I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong. I it's been a while since I've watched a lot of like the more like '90s, '90210, and Saved by the Bell and stuff. But if I remember correctly, the only storylines you really get with the parents are their interference with the teenagers. Oh yeah, definitely. Even '90210, like the, it's They're just slight, when they have yeah. to, and, and, and it's if not it aff- only if it affects the characters, right? Where Dawson's Creek, no, you just get storylines with it, and of course it affects their kids, but. Right, and like this was a trend that would continue with shows like The O.C. and Gossip Girl, mm-hmm. um, and like just all those shows too. Um, obviously, Gilmore Girls, because one yeah. of the Gilmore Girls is the parent. So I think it's just he's one of the most important writers to me, and very very close to my heart. It's like him and Wes Craven yeah. are two of the most important people in horror uh, yeah. because the fact that they created Scream together, and that was the thing too is it never was like Scream was never like. Wes and Kevin very much enjoyed each other's company and like neither would do the movie without the other like both they're like in between Scream 3 and 4 it took so long because there were so many parts where it's like well I can't do it I can't do it uh-huh. and neither of them would do the movie without, without the other, other person um, which I think is just really telling and yeah he's just one of our all time favorites yeah. so, so the way I he mean, writes uh, Vampire the... Diaries I know like a lot of people gave up on that show that's still gonna go down as one of my favorite TV shows it has so much to offer especially it's supernatural storylines which we don't get a lot in TV at least not for that long yeah no. and they explore so many different things while still being like a teen drama it's just I he will forever go down as like one of the most important creators for me and one who has affected my life and i also think it's 
very rare that we see someone like him who has affected television and movies. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you usually get one or the other. And you don't see a lot of that crossover. Decades. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he has created long-lasting TV shows. In the 90s, in the, the aughts, and the, the... 2010s. Yeah. Yeah. And then also just what he does. I wish he'd go back to film. It's been a long time. He basically only does Scream. Um, I would love to see him write another film. Uh, this cast is bananas. <gasps> it's Especially, small. so if you're a 90s kid, <laughs> it, it's... Your 90s can win. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's Jennifer Love Hewitt, who at the time, Party of Five was very, very popular. I mean, it was on, like, right before Melrose Place, right after Beverly Hills, 90210. Like, it was, like, part of that, like, teen heartthrob, like, 90s craze. And she was, like... She was like the star yeah. of it, alongside Nev Campbell. Uh, you got Sarah Michelle Gellar the year <sighs> Buffy launched, I think, or the yeah. year before. Um, she was. It was Buffy launched that year, and then I think they filmed it that next spring. So she's probably filming the second season. Yeah. So Sarah Michelle Gellar. Um, I don't think we've talked about it too much. We love Buffy, like oh, one of oh, our yeah. all-time favorite shows Have ever. You not about Buffy We're also now? big Joss Whedon fans. So, yeah. um, but Sarah Michelle Gellar is. One of her all-time favorites. Uh-huh. Uh, she is the best. Mm-hmm. Um, she is ridiculously pretty, and she's just a great actress and super fun to watch, and I love her in everything she's ever been in. Same. Um, so Sarah Michelle Gellar as Helen Shivers. Oh, sorry. Jennifer Love Hewitt's character is Julie James. Ryan Phillippe, who also at this time was huge, like, 90s heartthrob. Yeah. Um, he was in Cruel Intentions, which was a very bizarre but super good... With Sarah Michelle Gellar. Very dark comedy. Like, uh, yeah, very uh, interesting movie. But Ryan Phillippe and then Freddie Prince Jr., who was another teen heartthrob at this time. And he was just everywhere. I mean, like, he was in... what? Are, what's every movie? He, he was in so many movies at oh the time. Oh, my God. Of, like, all... She was... Um, She's All That? Is that him? Yeah, right? She's All That. And then he um, was in that movie, the baseball movie, Fever Pitch. Oh, that is movie's that terrible. No, Summer Catch. Yeah, Summer uh, Catch. He was in the live-action Scooby-Doo yeah. movie. Um, he was in, uh, there's this movie called Head Over Heels that he was in oh, around yeah. that time. Uh, I mean, he He's was... He's friends. He plays the Manny in oh, Friends. Oh, yeah, he plays, uh, oh, Down to You he yeah. was in. Um, he was just, like, everywhere at this yeah. point. He had his own show for a while. Yeah. Um. It's great, too, because Freddie Prince Jr. and Sarah Michelle Gellar have been married for 18 years. They met on the set of this movie. So thank you to this movie for bringing together a long-lasting celebrity couple that played fucking Freddie and Daphne. Yeah, dude. In the so Scooby-Doo good. movies. So good. I absolutely love it. Oh, um, I was telling Ryan, fun fact about me, I there's two movies that I've seen more than any other movie in my entire life, and that is Princess Diaries 2, The Royal Engagement, and the live-action Scooby-Doo. Not only can I word-for-word quote the Scooby-Doo movie, I can quote the commentary with the four main stars. I've seen that movie so many times. I love it. It's, it's a, a piece of me. I, I, It's a great movie. If you haven't seen that either, go watch it. Uh, James Gunn of Guardians of the Galaxy fame wrote that movie. Um, and it's just super, super good. And I... I, I really truly enjoyed it. I feel like yeah. it totally encapsulates like I mean, the feel of the cartoon which I'm a huge fan of too I grew up with the cartoons and I mean my age I was only 10 when the Scooby-Doo live action movie came out so it was like, yeah my brother was me. obsessed with Scooby-Doo yeah. so we definitely saw it um, Bridget Wilson plays Elsa Shivers that's Sarah Michelle Gellar's sister in the movie she was like right at the tail end of her kind of heartthrob career too she was like she played uh, Sonya in the Mortal Kombat movie. She was um, Billy for, Madison's yeah, love interest, Veronica Vaughn and Billy Madison. So she was like a total. That's what like, I know her from, babe. Yeah. Um, Aunt Heish, 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 um, as Missy Egan. Ash. Um, she had already 
was a pretty well-established actress yeah. at this point. They brought her in because they wanted someone that, like, people knew and th- that also had, like, sharper features, could be a little scary, could be two a little days. on edge. She only yeah. filmed for two days. Um, so she was, like, kind of, like, the big name that they threw yeah. into it. At this point, like, yes, all these actors were big-ish, but this was, like, the right at the beginning of them getting yeah. big. So, like, they recognized them from TV. And yes. it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to throw them in this movie because people are really digging what they're doing right yeah. now. Yeah, so, um, and then Muse Watson plays Ben Willis. Johnny Galecki, who you'll definitely know now, um, he played uh, David and Roseanne, but he's super famous for Big Bang Theory. He plays Stuart, I think is his character. I don't know. Uh, yeah, he's in that show. Um, and then also like the vacation movies. Yes. Yeah. Um, he's he was rusty. a big childhood, child actor. Yeah. He was a big child actor. And then, and then he kind of like went away and he popped up in this and went away and came back in Big Bang Theory. Yeah. So, um, and he's great in everything. Yeah. He's really good in this yeah. too. Um, he's not in it very long. He, it's like every time I watch this, I'm like, oh, I forget he's in this. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a slasher and a teen scream. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is probably our favorite genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, super iconic weapon. He uses, so the killer is a fisherman. Like he wears a fisherman's slicker um, and he uses the hook, like the the fishing hook. Uh, basically, if you don't know what it looks like, it's got like a handle that you put under your four fingers and then the hook comes out through like... Like Captain Hook. Yeah. It's um, Captain Hook's it's, hook. It's what you it's use to gut fish. To gut fish, exactly. Um, and fun fact, this happened in our last movie. And we love when this happens. It's based on an urban legend, our Mm -hmm. killer. And The Burning did this. Obviously, urban legend is about urban legends. But um, the hook is why he wears a hook and why he's a fisherman and why they chose him as the killer. But the best part is that when they're sitting on the beach in the opening scene, they tell the legend of the hook. Yeah. Um... Super good, super timely too, because like Urban Legend would come out not too long after this. Yeah, ninety eight, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the killer himself is Ben Willis. So we'll kind of dive into the movie yeah. here because we need to like talk about it. So for like, first of all, I love everything about the filming of this movie. It's B and I grew up in a very small town. Um, it wasn't a coastal town, but it was kind of close to the coast. Yeah. Um, but also we're just like big fans of small town horror takes place in the super tiny town where they do like a parade for the ho- like the the they do the like a fish room the, the fishing fi- homecoming queen yeah or whatever. Like it's, it's a like, pageant it's a pageant that they do but they do like a whole town parade for it which is very similar to town we grew up in they did like a, there's a parade for halloween and there's a parade for homecoming and it's like the whole town comes out for yeah. it um but it's this very small like fishing community and these four kids are about to graduate and um it's two couples and the girls are friends and the guys are not um and so it makes for a fun dynamic yeah because realistically like these four people would never hang out ever if it weren't for the fact that these girls were were dating or if these girls weren't best friends and dating these people um so it's very four different personality types like you have jennifer love hewitt who is like your like i'd say your book smart she's like ready to go to college you have freddie prince who's like your every man he's like the laborer he's kind of like not he doesn't really fit in with this group because, like, his family's he's not poor. Rich, yeah. yeah, he's not rich. He works like. Um, Sarah Michelle Geller is like the very pretty girl. You know, like, unfortunately, her character is kind of portrayed as that, like, she, you know, she peaked in high school yeah, type of gets thing by because, on her looks. yeah, because it shows that she just is working at her parents' shop um, after that, and then Barry. Ryan Phillippe's character is a total douchebag. His parents are loaded. Like, they go to his house at one point, and he has this huge, like, coastal, like, beautiful house. Um, so his parents are, like, loaded, and he's, like, 
just a drunk and he drives a beamer and like he gets he gets by just yeah. because he has money. For reference, the beamer that he drives, this movie is twenty years old, and you still look at that beamer and go, Yeah, that's a nice car. You know how when you watch movies and it's like the popular kid and you know that had to be like the nicest car available at the time? Yeah. And you're like, God, that car's so hideous and like ugly and outdated. You look at his beamer and you're like, Yeah, it's still a nice car. Yeah, I'd still drive that. Yeah. Beamer makes some quality vehicles. Yeah. So it's like these four people um, like, it's kind of showing how their relationship works because, like, you know, Barry's drunk and Sarah Michelle Geller is just, like, like putting up with him and they're, like, making out. But, like, Freddie Prince and, like, Jennifer Love Hewitt's like, character way is more serious way more and serious and they, they go off on their own. Yeah, they haven't lost their virginity to each other yeah, yet. Yeah, they have a very, like, touching moment yeah. and they end up losing their virginity. So On the beach. On the beach. And so they have graduated and they're celebrating. They go to, like, this party and then, like, Sarah Michelle Geller wins the pageant. So she's celebrating because she, like, is... With her, the, like, mermaid crown. Yeah, she has this, like, mermaid crown and um, Ryan Philippi's character is too drunk to drive. So Freddie Prince Jr. has to drive the car and Philippi is, like, hammered and he turns the music up all loud and he's, like, he t- puts himself out of the uh, sunroof of his car and he's, like kicking around everyone's telling them to knock it off and they fucking hit this dude uh on like this coastal highway and this is like kind of a silly plot line because b and i both said we would both be the people that totally be like yep we're going to the police like we're gonna tell them yeah. especially like jennifer loves you a character in particular not driving not drinking yeah. like because the whole thing is like ryan Phillips like we can't like it's my car there's boo i spilled booze all over it i'm drunk and like it's my car they're and, gonna know they're gonna think i was driving yeah and freddie prince jr is like well i was driving it's not a big deal and he's like it is a big deal. like you were driving that's still man like that's, that's manslaughter, manslaughter yeah. and they're like our whole lives are gonna be ruined if we do this so they instead of doing the right thing and going to the cops they decide to fucking dump the body in the ocean yeah Important Max drives up in his truck, who obviously has a thing for Julie. Yeah, Max is Johnny Galecki's character. And he drives up, and he's wearing, like, one of those, like, Rasta, like, ponchos. Yeah. And he's like, Julie, are you okay? You These douchebags, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, I'm fine. They're, like, pretending that Barry's throwing up on the side of the road, but they're actually just hiding him because he's He's covered in blood. He's got blood all over him. And he's like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then he drives off. That's important because that makes him involved in all of this. So he drives off, and you also kind of think, like, maybe she's going to tell him, like, what's going on. Like, this is kind of her chance. Nope. She gives in. And she's still the sad part, too. So they dump his body in the water. Yeah, they dump his body in the water. And there is a part where, like, he kind of wakes up and grabs Sarah Michelle out of crown. So Ryan Philippi dives in the water to get it. And, like, he goes in the water and he realizes that he's still alive. Yeah. Like, he opens his eyes and, like, Philippi freaks out and comes back out. Because they didn't kill him. Yeah, they realize they, like, didn't kill him for sure. They hadn't killed him and now they did for sure. Yeah. Or so they think. Um, and like he like freaks out and he like chokes Jennifer Love Hewitt against the you're car. Not, like, you're not like, you're never gonna tell you're anybody. Gonna tell anybody. Uh, Fucking chokes her out. Yeah. And oh my god. But Freddie Prince Jr.'s character, man, what a little and they do this on purpose, which for later in the film, why you probably find this out, but I'm sorry, but not only would my husband never let another guy fucking choke me, but none of my guy friends no. would ever let another guy or really anybody choke me out and threaten me. <laughs> yeah. And like she's like coughing, she can't breathe. Like, and he just stands there violent. and does yeah. nothing. It's super violent, and it further pushes like the douchebaggery of Barry. But also, you kind of like. 
are like, what the fuck, Freddie Prince Jr.? Like, why are you not doing anything? And then you also makes you hate all the three other people who are there, even Helen, because you're like, you're not going to tell your boyfriend to like get the fuck off of her. Yeah, that's your best friend. Yeah. It does really do a good job, though. Like we were saying, of like in the first twenty minutes of this movie, you very much know who your characters yes. are. Like you know that Barry is like this. He has an anger problem. He's yeah. a drunk. He is, you know, like. He just blows up. You know that. You know that, um, like... H- Helen relies on her looks. Probably pretty insecure. Very submissive. Yeah. Um, Jennifer Love Hewitt, like, is the more morally yeah, grounded moral one. Compass, yeah, yeah, she wants to do the right thing, but she also, like, wants to have a big life outside of this. She doesn't want her life to be, like, anchored by this one thing that was a yeah. total accident. Um, and then Freddie Prince Jr. is actually not in a lot of this movie. Which um, is sad. And he, but Prince. he's also, like, it kind of gives you the idea that he has... I feel like it does show you that he's, like, not super motivated to do things. Well, I feel like they're trying to play the angle that, you know, Barry is this rich guy and Ray's this, like, working mm-hmm. man. And, like, you just learn when you're poor and you don't have a lot of opportunities to just kind of let them do their thing. And you right. don't you don't interfere because that you don't have a lot of opportunities to better your life. You don't fuck with the rich kid. Yeah. And so it kind of maybe gives you that idea. And that, he, like, I feel like not just not just his character too, but Jennifer Love Hewitt's character, like it's almost like he's like, I don't interfere with rich people's lives even if I'm involved in yeah. both their lives. Yeah. Um. So Ben Willis is actually, what ends up happening is it's we get a flash forward to a year later and um, Jennifer Love Hewitt has gone off to college. She comes back for the summer um, and... She, uh, like, basically as soon as she comes back, and everyone else still lives in town. So Helen is working at her parents, like, it's a consignment store, dress shop, pretty much. Um, Freddie Prince Jr. is working on the docks, and Barry does nothing but get drunk all day because his parents are loaded. So she comes back, and she gets a note that says, I know what you did last summer. And which kind of kickstarts this whole thing of, like, they start getting fucked with by someone, and they don't know who. um, But they start getting fucked with, and it starts really playing with, like... Jennifer Hella Hewitt wants to go to the police and tell people, and it kind of like it forces these four people who went in very different directions to get involved with each other again, and also shows that like it really shows that sometimes friendships are built out of location, like proximity. Yes, um, because a lot not, of friendships. Yeah, and sometimes that's fine because sometimes those friendships can create real friendships. Because it's like we were around each other so much and then we got to know each other and now we are friends. But sometimes it's like we're literally just forced to be around each other all the time. But if we weren't, we wouldn't stay friends. None of these people stayed friends. Um, the closest would maybe be Helen and Julie, but even they are not very good friends. Um, so it kicks off this whole like string of things like going on. And what's great is there's not a lot of kills in this movie, but a lot of this movie, the killer fucks with these guys for a long time before like even deciding to reveal himself as an actual killer so he starts sending him these notes mm-hmm. just like these small notes to say like i know what you did last summer to like really start pushing buttons feels very kind of like my bloody valentine-esque like the original yeah where you're like kind of getting like taunted yes it, they're very much fun. like it, it is it's super fun and like so for a long time like and, and at first it's just Julie getting this shit. So, like, no one really believes her because they all think, like, she was the one who wanted to go to the cops originally. So they're like, well, she still wants yeah. to go to the cops. And they're forced to get back together. They're like, okay, with these four people that we had to, like, we were all involved. We have to. So they go, like, get Ray. And they think maybe Max is doing it. They think Max it. is yeah. doing it because Max did see them. So they have this, like, interaction with Max. And he basically is, like, just tells them to fuck off. 
and um, Max ends up being our first kill because he's still working on the docks. Um, our first like visible kill. Um, he's still working on the docks and like it's late at night one night and he's working and he like hears this noise and out of nowhere the hook just swings up right through his throat and like drags him down and that's our first kill. Um, it's a really great shot. I super love it. Um, but even so, even though we know Max is dead, the characters don't for a long time. Yeah. Um, they are still continually getting fucked with. So the killer does these things like, um, like he goes to, uh, Barry's gym and he, yeah. uh, leaves a note with a picture, uh, that says, I know what you did last summer. And then, Just um, fucking he, like yeah, taunting he, chases, well, he chases Barry down yeah. in the car and he injures him, but he doesn't kill him. He gets out of the car with the hook, doesn't kill him. Um, you know, um, he- Helen, who is very, very like looks focused he cuts all of her hair off one yeah. night um because she has to go like so, reprise her role as the beauty pageant all queen. opportunities for the killer to have killed them easily mm-hmm. and he's not wanting to he yeah. wants to just fucking torment them for a little while first he, yeah he just wants to super mess with them and this whole time they're trying to figure out so finally after barry confronts the killer and like realizes he was real they all agree like Okay, something's going on. And they know it's a man mm-hmm. because he doesn't wear gloves and it's obviously like a man's hands. And as soon as, because I told, as soon as that scene happens, you see his hands. I'm like, I mean, those aren't women's hands. Like you can be like a very more manly looking woman and your hands still don't look like that. And so I was like, that's an interesting decision. We talk about in Giallo's, like, because they're so whodunit based, mm-hmm. they make sure that the characters are gloved that's a big aspect and this is a huge whodunit movie with a lot of like red herrings and a lot of guessing and that's part of a lot of the suspense is you don't really know who to trust but every possible scenario they always make it so it could be a guy yeah so, so it's an interesting device to use so basically you find out that jennifer loves hewitt jennifer love hewitt's character julie she was keeping up with they found a body uh, of the body of a kid named David Egan. And they found the body a couple weeks after they threw that body in the ocean. So they think they killed David Egan, but they know he wasn't dead. So they think he washed up and he's back to get them. Um, they think it's him somehow or it's like someone who related to him because, I mean, they found the body, so they think maybe it's someone related to him. So she, like, looks him up using the most, like, like the oldest-looking computer database in the entire world and she finds all these news articles finds out that david egan did have a brother or a sister and so they go out to the sister's house to try to get clues and the sister's very weird and like off-putting too which like b said it's like a red herring because you're like is the sister involved somehow is she like maybe she's not the killer but she could be like working with the killer there's a fisherman slicker in the house um there's like all these like dead animals around um so like there's all these kind of like red herrings and you are very much led to believe like it's david egan or it's like the person that he is like or his sister or his sister mentions and this is like the biggest red herring is his sister mentions like oh this guy came by not long after he died Mm -hmm. and his name was billy blue and like you know he was like very curious about things so you're kind of thinking like oh maybe it's this friend of david egan's that you don't know about yeah who's like trying to avenge him but basically, it's all red herrings, and you find out, um, you find out that it was, so it's like this kind of like th- really thrown in there plot, but there was a character named Susie Willis, and Su- Susie Willis was killed in a car accident, and she was killed by David Egan, who was drunk driving. Well, because of some like loophole, David Egan got out of jail, 
and Susie Willis's father, Ben Willis, decides to kill David Egan. The night, the same night he killed David Egan and threw him in the ocean, the kids run him down mm-hmm. and throw his body in the ocean. So David Egan is actually dead. Yes. But Ben Willis is not. And Ben Willis was the one who killed David Egan. Yes. So Ben Willis is already a murderer, and now he's coming back to kill the kids. There's like this big revelation scene where Jennifer Love Hewitt like figures it out, and this is what really kicks off like the climax of the movie. And when the climax hits, it's pretty fast. Like yeah. it's like pretty nonstop ramping up because what happens is she's researching this. Helen and Barry are at like the the pageant that yeah, she's supposed she's to be Yeah, she's having at. to be there to like reprise like she won last year, so she kind of has to be there. Yeah, so she she's sitting there and this we see the killer. I love this shot because Barry's sitting up in like this balcony area by himself, which is we know exists, which I like this too, is like it's not like he's randomly up there by themselves. When Sarah Michelle Geller in the very beginning of the movie was entering the pageant, you see our three other characters up there watching her. Right, and that's why they sat so Barry could yeah. drink because he was underage. So you see him and it's like very silhouetted because all the lights are shining these spotlights are shining down on the contestants and she sees the silhouette of the of the fisherman come up behind him she starts screaming and like running off the stage and it's like this crowd yeah yeah, it's this great cinematography of like it's flashing back and forth between the hook because the movie's not very gory overall so like you get the cinematography of like the hook hand flashing up and down on barry of like these people like looking aghast in the crowd Mm -hmm. and like grabbing her trying to like calm her down and she keeps looking to the side and you see the silhouette on the wall of the hook coming up and down on barry and she's like screaming screaming she's like he's up there he's up there and there's a cop in the audience, and he's like, what are you talking about? He takes her up there, and there's nothing there. No killer, no body, nothing. And the cop's like, you know what? I'm going to drive you home. Yeah. So he starts to drive her home, and there's a truck in the middle of the like alley that they're driving down. And like the hood's popped up, and it's got like a light on it. Like Obviously, like, the truck's not working. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to see what this guy needs. He gets out of the truck, and she, again, Sarah Michelle Geller, who's distraught about everything, isn't really paying attention. She looks up and notices it is, in fact, the fisherman. She starts screaming. She's like, it's him, it's him, it's him. The cop turns around, looks at her, looks back. Hook right up through the fucking chest. Like literally like lifts him up in the air by his sternum with the hook. Um, this scene is very reminiscent of the one in Scream 2, like the cop car scene, because like Sir Michelle Geller, Michelle Geller has to break out of the cop car to start running away from the from the fisherman. Um, I, I was telling B, I love this too. So she's running to her shop. She knows her like sister will be there still. And the fisherman doesn't run after her, but he walks with some damn good determination. Like he, it's not like when Michael walks after you and, and he's, just he's walking, like, like literally a, walking. Yeah. Um, like he is like, this guy is like speed walking. He's like, no, I'm going to power fucking, walking. Yeah. He's yeah, like, I'm going to sure. get you. He's not sprinting. No. He's not, he's not ghost not, face, but. Yeah. Um, which I think is a good medium. Yeah. Um, so she, Sarah Michelle goes banging on this fucking door. Her sister's in the shop. She's like screaming, screaming. She's like, you got to get in here. Um, and she gets in the shop, and I love this part, too, because all this is happening, like, in 15 minutes. Like I said, it's, like, a long time of the killer just fucking with these kids, and, like, you know he's killed some people. Like, he kills Max, he kills this cop, but he's just, like, he's been fucking with them, fucking with them, and then all of a sudden, it's, like, okay, now... Now what's happening? Now it's happening, and yeah. he waited till the 4th of July. This is yeah. happening on 4th of July night. Yes. So he's, like, been waiting, building up to it, and he... I love this shot, or, like, this sequence in particular is my favorite. So the sprint scene, I think, is great. Like, she's banging on the door. He's gone. She's like, close the back door. And and I love this shot because, like, it shows a sister go in the back room, but it, it pans from left to right. 
So you see the door, like it's literally a second, but you see the door close and then it pans right and the sister walks in through the back room and, and locks, locks the door. And I love that shot because you know he's there. You know he's there, but like you didn't have to see him walk in. You yeah. don't see him in the background. You just know he's there. And all he did was show you one second of that door closing. Yeah. She turns around after locking the door. You get this great shot of her looking frightened. He holds the hook up. You can see the reflection of him. In her like, glasses. In her glasses with him, like, raising his hook. He's about to go, like, and it, you can see the reflection in her glasses. I was telling Ryan when we were watching this that I don't know if it's because of this podcast, probably, mm-hmm. that I just pay more attention to little things like this because this is how we're you know, dissecting them and deciding how good they are. Um, granted, we always loved this movie, but I never realized how artful uh-huh. and well thought out each one of these kills was. And it's not that gory. Um, we are only getting one weapon. So typically with those two scenarios, um, the kills could lead to being less interesting. And you just do such a good job with setting... It reminds me actually a lot of intruder Mm, mm -hmm, where so many of the kills like they just find interesting ways to shoot them where we're not just like all right that's not a hack and slash this is literally like the reflection the the scene where barry gets killed and he's up on the balcony and she's running through and you can see in the spotlight that he's getting killed in her agony it's like you feel so much more because you're you're getting a perspective of another character mm-hmm. while they're getting killed. So without having to do first perspective, we get to see what the killer looks like to, what's her name, the sister, Elsa? Yeah, Elsa. So we get mm-hmm. to see from Elsa's perspective through her glasses what's about to happen, and that's scary. We get to see through Sarah Michelle Geller's character what's happening to her boyfriend. So we're feeling the kills through these other characters and really different ways and unique ways and it just gives you a little bit more impact and I I was just very surprised with how tense even though I've seen this film multiple times um and it's 20 years old how tense all of it was because of you feeling the kills through these you know the way they're shot well even the way so Helen is running away from the killer she jumps out of the second story roof or the window of her building lands she's like running not crippled but like hurt injured finds her way she can see the street and like these fireworks start going off and the parade starts marching by and she's almost there and he steps out from behind like the stack of tires and he grabs her and he kills her and even this shot i love because it's like you said like we're not necessarily getting the perspective of we're not necessarily getting the perspective of someone else, but what we are getting here, because it's this bird's eye view shot of the parade going by and him pulling her into the tires and you see his hand raising. But like, I love it because it's like her death is unnoticed and it's really showing you like that her death is literally happening like five feet away from these people and it goes completely unnoticed and like barely seen. And even like the how, how it's shot, it's like this very flashing imagery because of the fireworks and like because of the chaos of like um the chaoticness of like the the parade and like you get i just love that shot too because it's like even that one's pretty artful and tasteful in the way it's like she's getting brutally murdered and no one even knows and i also like i mean as buffy fans it's almost hard to watch sarah michelle geller just get killed Mm -hmm. um because if you've ever watched buffy i mean she's a 
fucking badass and she's like the chosen one so she has abilities that most teenage girls don't have blah 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 but she fights off the fisherman she literally is like fighting him and tries really hard and there's just people right there but the marching band walking by and the fireworks are so loud that it doesn't matter what she does she still gets killed so I think not only do we get the subtext of these characters and their lives intertwined and we feel like emotionally connected to them because of that the way that all of these kills are set up and filmed, we feel the impact of them more, and I think we can relate to them more. Right. Put ourselves in that situation. Um, and I think this truly showed, too, because B and I were talking a lot, because Scream doesn't have a lot of gore either. Um, like, it's bloody here and there, but it's not a lot of gore. And this was a trend of the it's urban legends the same way. Mm-hmm. And it was a trend, and I think it... We love bloody movies, trust me. Like, oh, yeah. one of our favorite scenes is, like, when it starts raining blood in Evil Dead, yeah. the remake. Um, but, like, we love bloody movies. But, like, also we love when a movie can be just as impactful without it, um, which I think is almost as hard, as hard if not harder, to do. Um, so the movie, like, so Helen is dead, Barry is dead. Um, Julie knows what's happening. She goes to warn Helen, can't find her. So she goes to get Ray and be like, we have to figure out what's going on. And she's telling Ray everything is happening. And she thinks she has it figured out of like, oh my God, it's this guy. Like, um, you know, like uh, Ben Willis. And Ray's like, okay, come with me. Let's get out of here. I have it. Like I'm on my boat. And she notices the name of the boat is Billy Blue. So another red herring like throws in this curveball. She's like, shit, it might be you because Billy Blue is the name of the guy that went and talked to the sister. Um, so she's running away from Ray. Ray's running after her, and he gets fucking clotheslined by this fisherman. And the fisherman is, like, standing there. He's like, are you okay? And she's like, you got to help me. And he's like, there's a phone on my boat. Go. And so she runs on the boat. She gets inside. She realizes he gets all these fucking newspaper clippings of the killings <laughs> of, of um, Susie Willis's death and, like, and David Egan's body and everything. And she's like, oh, shit. He walks in. He's like, what's wrong? And he says something. And I love it, too. He's like, shouldn't you be out having fun? drinking running people over yeah. getting away with it and she's like i, I just love that too because there's no like he has lost all tactfulness of like playing around he's just yeah. like i'm gonna fucking tell you that i'm the killer and i'm gonna fucking kill you and i love it too i just love it's so different but i i loved that about scream and i love this about this movie and i love it about urban legend like the reveal mm-hmm. and then we get a talkative as shit killer i love it yeah he's like making one liners he yeah. keeps talking to her i love this final scene so he takes off on this boat so the last scene the whole scene takes place on this like fisherman's boat and i love it because like jennifer love hewitt julie she has to escape from him but the only escape is to just run around on this boat and yeah. like find different places to hide and it's very well, like, very beautifully shot. Like, all the lighting is really cool because, like, boat lighting is always, like, really interesting. Um, one of the shots I really like is she has this flare gun. She's loading it up, and he sees her because he's in the captain's quarters, like, driving. He sees her, and he rams up, so she, the boat or the gun flies overboard. And she looks, and she can see him, and it's just, like, this really well-lit cabin. And, and like, they have this stare-off, and they look, and then he just goes away. Like, he runs out, and you just know they play it so well. It's, like you know that he's coming for her, but she has no idea where he is coming or going and what where to go because this is unfamiliar territory to her. While this is happening, Ray jumps on his little, like, Yamaha speedboat and it, it starts chasing out. It's very heroic, Freddie Prince, because yeah. he literally, like, gets a boat alongside the fisherman's boat, jumps off of it, grabs the netting on the side of the boat, 
but like the killer Ben Willis hears that so he gets up and Ben's like already standing there so they start fighting so there's like this big fight scene um and it ends finally like Julie finds the bodies of everyone who's dead like stored in ice on the boat oh yeah we forgot to mention when they find uh Max we'll just kind of like backtrack to that really quickly um they find out Max is killed like Pretty much right before this whole finale takes place. That's how, like, all sort of, like, the s- starts kicking off. Because she's driving to Helen's house after her hair is all cut off. Yeah. And she hears this, like, weird noise. She opens her trunk and it's a bunch of fucking crabs with Max packed in ice. Like, cr- and the crabs are just crawling all over him. Very reminiscent B brought it up of Bay of Blood. The yeah. one we covered. The, is that it, last episode? No, two, like, episodes? two episodes ago. Yeah. But it's literally, like, in a trunk and, like, sea creatures. And so I wonder if that's an intentional, like, homage. I kind of hope so. Uh, it's um, a gross scene. But it's Something about gross. sea creatures and dead bodies. It's yeah. Just, like, really it is really gross. Yeah. And imagine finding that in your trunk. Yeah, and so. then when she comes back, it's gone again. It was yeah. all just this killer. That's a very famous scene, too, because she, like, just starts spinning around in a circle outside. Yeah. And she's like, what are you? Because she's like, he's just watching us. And then yeah. so she's like, she starts screaming at all the houses. She's like, what do you want from us? It's a good scene. Um, it is. So she finds all the dead bodies. And there's this, like, big fight scene. And... Basically, what happens is they trap him in his own like rigging on the boat, and he gets launched up. The hand with the hook gets launched up and sliced off, and he falls in the water. And then we cut to like the police, and like they're figuring out everything that happened. Um, and you know, like pretty much like they're off the hook because they didn't actually kill anyone. I mean, they didn't mm-hmm. kill David Egan, and they didn't kill Ben Willis. So, yeah. like, like, and there's nothing to show they even hit Ben Willis with a car. So they're just like, yeah, this guy started trying to kill us. So yeah. they're off the hook, and, the, and like, the, the hand's just hanging there off with the, the hook. hook. Yeah. Oh, they, yeah, they see what I did there? The, the hand's just hanging there with the hook still on it, like, yeah. in the net, which is great. And they're like, his body will show up sooner or later. Yeah, which leads you to a sequel which yeah. happens well and we get our one year yeah. flash forward yeah which is this b's favorite scene in the movie probably Ugh, it's very I love good it so much julie's back at college she's like super happy now because she's not stressed about murdering like yeah, some, she someone didn't actually murder anybody yeah so she's all like stoked she's on this like super old phone like hella old blocky <laughs> phone talking to ray and she's like can't wait to see you this weekend blah 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 she like goes in the shower and her friend's like okay i'm gonna go get ready and she's like okay she like hangs up the phone and turns around and it's all like steamy and shit in the shower and right there written in the scene is i still know what you did is it i still know i think it's just i still know and she like looks around and then she looks back and it's and then the killer just jumps out from the glass um and that's how the movie ends um which totally sets you up for a sequel and then when you see the sequel you realize that the scene is a dream scene and it's kind of garbage but uh it's a great it's a great ending uh very reminiscent of like the nightmare on elm street scene um, which a lot of people don't like, but it very much works in this context. Yeah, what's it say? We're looking it up right now for 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 the listeners. I, I still, still know. know. Yeah, and then he and jumps, then he jumps through. through. It's great. It's so good. And we did read like trivia that originally um, she was just supposed to get an email that said, I still know, and they switched it out for this. And I'm so glad they did because it is one of my favorite films because it's at that point where you relax. It's like the double tap idea. It's like you... They should have double checked and made that their killer was dead. Yep. Because she's all relaxed, and the viewers like, oh, okay. Like you kind of like come down after the chase and the finale and all the killing and the reveal, and it's like this end scene, and then it starts in the shower, and she gets left alone, and then all of a sudden you're so fucking tense again because you're like, what the hell is gonna happen? 
Like, what's going to happen? And then she turns, and she says, I still know. And then he jumps through the window. Very, like, Friday the 13th. Yep. Like, just such a beautiful, like, throwback to 80s slashers. And what's so good about this is that I know I get 80s fatigue, and I do love myself like a nice glossy film. And you just get both with this. Yep. You get a straight slasher that is true. This could have come out in the 80s. But then you get the benefits of the trend that started in the millennium, which is the subtext of your characters and that becoming more of a focus. I think like the score and the character dynamic mixed with this 80s style of slasher is... And then, but still the restraint of a 90s movie, mm-hmm. it just makes for something, like, very special. Um, yeah. And it's very rare to come by. And, like, that's, I mean, B and I have, like, trust me, we've scoured the internet for, like, more 90s slashers. They don't exist as much yeah. as we wish they could. The 80s was the heyday of slashers, man. Like, I feel like they're films still like finding th- slashers yeah. from the 80s. And films like this, just, there wasn't that many of them. Yeah, they they were huge for, like, two years. Yeah. Um, What's your favorite kill? Um... I think my favorite, oh, yeah. I was, like, re-watching them and trying to figure it out because it's really hard because, like I said, I'm just so amazed by all of these kills. I think I'm going to have to go with Elsa's kill mm, in the shop. Um, and just because I love that play with the perspective where right. you can, they you see a reflection in the glasses, and that could have been done, like, so corny, but instead you just can feel the fear for her because you see him raise his hand and yeah. he's about to You're get her. You're seeing her get killed, but yeah. from neither perspective. Really. Yeah, like... and so it's just so different and so impactful. And you don't even really... I don't like that character. She's a fucking bitch. Oh, yeah. She's horrible to her sister. Yeah. And obviously, like, really snooty, but I'm you're I'm just, like, gutted by that kill. I'm like, oh, God. And, like, I read, too, that it does show it, like, from the back, and you see some blood splatter, and that's actually added later. Right, because um, I said it wasn't me- it was medically, medically impossible yeah. to have no blood. So they, like, splatter just a little bit of gl- blood on the glass, and it just, it's just so good. And p- not just how the, f- it's not my favorite kill just because of how it was filmed, but also the fact that that is... We do get um, Barry's kill right before that, and that's a beautiful kill as well. But this is really like Sarah Michelle Geller is like in that shop, and mm-hmm. this is when you the chase scene gets super serious, right? And it's just like you, she's isolated. He means he's killing people who aren't even involved. Elsa wasn't involved at all. Yep. So it just really amps it up for you, and so for well, me, I gotta go Barry's. Yeah. Um, I just love the chaos in that scene, like. Everything, just her screaming and, like, cutting back and forth because it, it does it so well. Cutting back and forth between, like, Barry trying to fight him off, him coming down with the hook, the silhouette shot, the audience reacting and grabbing her and, like, flashing back and forth. And it's so wild and, like, all over the place. But you're still – and it's like you said, you're seeing this kill from, like, four perspectives. Like, you're seeing her see it. You're seeing the silhouette of it actually happening. You're seeing – Barry's perspective and the killer looking down on Barry like there's so much happening with it and I just really enjoyed it so I think that's definitely gotta be my favorite and Barry sucked so when he died you know um, yeah wasn't super bummed um this movie is very 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 well known for being like a teen scream like it other than it it is the most famous of the post scream slasher craze yes and it helped launch it was the next 
springboard for that craze. Yeah. Um, I think the success of this movie helped the trend continue for the next couple of years that we had because it could have been a flash in the pan, um, but because of how this movie... This is why we got H2O. Yeah. This is why we got Urban Legend. It's because, like, it continued, like, Scream was definitely, like, the first one where it was like, holy shit, like, you throw these sexy kids in with this, like, kind of slick dialogue and, like, these, like, this ki- these kills, but this, like, totally embraced that. It was like, okay, you like those sexy kids? Here's even sexier kids. Like, mm-hmm. here's four really sexy kids. They're all so sexy. Yeah, and, like, here, and, like, this is, like, a straight-up slasher movie and, like, you know, you mix in a little bit of Urban Legend, a little bit of Small Town, like, it just, like, really... I think was exactly what the viewing audience... Because, like, Scream also could have, like... I don't really... You know, like B said, I was eight when it came out. She was even younger. So Scream could have been too smart for people, too. Like, it might have gone over some people's heads. And, like, especially if you're not a fan of the genre, you wouldn't have understood necessarily all the meta-ness of it. So I think this is, like, the perfect follow-up for anyone who... Because it hits both sides. Anyone who loves Scream was like would go to this and be like oh i loved it it wasn't as good as scream but like it's still like totally struck that slasher chord and anyone who almost loved scream would go to this and be like oh shit yeah this is exactly for the what people I who complained that scream was like too funny or yes exactly like... yeah um so very very important um, yes and like we said earlier easily the most famous film we've touched yeah, yeah. Uh, over everything else yeah. we've done, like even the burning urban legend, or even Happy Death Day. Yeah, like this is more famous. Yeah, it's I mean, it's twenty years later, and people yeah. still say, "I I know what you did last summer." Yeah. Like people still say that. Uh, so now we have to rank it. Oh, um, if you go again to the website keepscreaming.com slash the dash list, you can find our whole list. We have done eighteen movies. Number one is still My Bloody Valentine, followed by um, last week we put The Burning at number two. Uh, Happy Death Day is number three. Uh, then there's a whole bunch in between, and then the bottom is rounded up by April Fool's Day is last, Slaughter High, and Terror Train right above it. Um, so, you know, we kind of break this down at, like, if you go back and listen to the other episodes, you can see we kind of break it down by generally, like, how good the movie is, but also um, how well it is as a slasher and what we view as a slasher. So we look at a lot of things. We look at, like, we look at the cast and, like, how the how the plot and the framework is we look at the kills the killer the motivation the score um really everything we try to tie everything in when we're thinking about it i'm looking at like number three four area i like this more than urban legend i think it's i i love that we get i love that we get the iconic killer in the sense that like it's very simple, but like he's wears the rain slicker no matter what all the time. I don't think we talked enough about how we have an iconic killer with an outfit. Yeah, and, and like you, like he's yeah. not named. It's not like I'm ever like Ben Willis, super iconic character, but yeah. he's the fisherman like outfit hook, is yeah. it, and the hook itself are so cool. I love that. I, I think the motivation is is good, and I also think it's a very solid like whodunit mystery, mm-hmm. and like you do get this like. Like, at first, you're kind of like, oh, shit, is this kid back from the dead? So is it supernatural? Or is it, like, this weird, like, is it, like, someone he knew? You have this mystery character, like, that they're trying to find, Billy Blue. Who the fuck is this guy? And then you get, like, you find out this mystery of, you no, know, this guy had murderous tendencies to begin with, and now he's out for revenge. Um, I love the cast. Love the cast. And I love that it totally embraces that 90s glossy 
everyone's hella good looking. Mm-hmm. Like I love that the score was great. It just it hits a lot of like really strong chords of what a slasher is to me. And like we said, it just I think it it's like a weird, very hard to hit mixture of eighties and nineties slasher movies. So why not hire? Um, I don't. So then, like you want it like two. Well, why is, I mean, I just want to know. I don't know. Why is Happy Death Day or The Burning or My Bloody Valentine better? So, I mean, My Bloody Valentine, I think, is still better because it is literally the blueprint for a slasher movie. And, I like, all of the things we get in I, I, I Know What You Did Last Summer, we still get in My Bloody Valentine. We're getting the iconic killer. We're getting the cool, like, red herring storyline where you're thinking the whole fucking movie that it's Harry. Like, you still, no one ever calls him by anything but Harry Warden. Like, mm-hmm. you, so, like... I, you get that. You get these. I think my buddy Valentine's kills are cooler. I mean, as much as we love these and they're beautiful, mm-hmm. I think the kills are cooler. Um, I, I and like my buddy Valentine was one of the only ones of the '80s. I feel like to give you the character backstory, like we knew our three main characters mm-hmm. of that movie very well. So I don't think it touches my buddy Valentine. I agree. Uh, um, as far as the burning goes, I think the burning is just so. I don't know. The burning is a little more hard to describe. We still get Cropsy. We still get these really cool kills. But the burning is so much more brutal. And it's also like it's never been replicated really. And the burning gets a lot of props for me because it's a copycat movie that somehow exceeds the original. It would be if like I know it would be like if I know what you did last summer was somehow better than the screen. Yeah. That's what it would be like. But it's not. I, I would say it's probably better than Happy Death Day. I think it needs to be two. I think it's better than The Burning. Really? Yes. I think that it's hard for us to, like, separate The Burning from the fact that it's better than it should be. But it's still not the best. You know? Like, break down just like you did for My Bloody Valentine. You just broke down all the reasons why it does what I know what you did last summer. And still set a blueprint and still is iconic why can't you do that for the burning well because i mean i do think it's very like what the what my buddy valentine has over the burning and which is also very hard to do and like it's a hard thing to judge it against is like when i approach an 80s movie it's a little different because most of the time we know we're not going to get that background with mm-hmm. those characters um so like i think you have to discount that a little bit and no you do yeah so let's break down what makes it a good slasher so, I mean, like, I think that, well, I think the kills are better in The Burning. Um, I spe- I, just that Raph scene alone. Mm-hmm. So I think the kills are better. I think the killer is probably more iconic. And it's almost a little more impressive because he's not in most of the movie. Um, and he still somehow manages to be super iconic. I think there's definitely no, like, mystery behind it. I mean, you get a few, like, like maybe it's not, but most of the time you know it is. I mean, they're both based on urban legends. It's hard for me to, like... The score's not there. The cast isn't there. The cast definitely isn't there. Or the acting, which, yes, we do have to separate some of that from the 80s, but that's why naturally a lot of these newer movies are going to exceed in those departments, but they usually lack in things that 80s movies have over it, which are kills and brutality and the killer. Right. But we still... Yes, I agree that the kills are better in The Burning, that wrath scene is one of the best scenes in any slasher film. But that's just one scene. I'm having a hard time 
not putting, I know what you did last summer, above it. Man, I'm torn. I think Cropsy is an iconic killer for sure. Um, a really cool killer, but iconic I, weapon. Um, but I know what you did last summer. Our killer is really menacing, and we have that who done it factor, and we have that iconic weapon, and he fucking taunts them. It's crazy and, because the main reason in my head, like the burning, is so hard to. And like I know it's comp- it's very de- different reasons because I'm like oh I know what you did summer last summer like it has all these elements that I love and, and then I look at the burning I'm like it has some of those elements but fuck man those kills are so cool mm-hmm. and like there's the there's the slasher fan of me who loves like the character dynamic and the build up and there's the slasher fan of me that's like I want to see some dope ass kills yeah I just don't I don't really care I just want to you know but the thing is is the burning does spend a lot of its time with its characters but no, where we're no without bro- really well, payoff right. I mean, most of the time, the payoff is literally you just want to see people die. Yeah, they're because they all suck. And you get that with Barry in this, but yeah. that's pretty much it. Okay, I'm okay with putting it too. Yeah. I agree. I think it deserves to be there. Cool. So we have a new number two. I know what you did last summer. We'll be our number two. with. So the burning was there for a week. Um, yeah. but I know. I didn't even get to, a description yet. Yeah, I didn't thought of anything clever to say. To three. That's fine. I mean, top three is still really good. My Bloody Valentine Reigns is number one. Yeah. Um... Again, if you guys can, go, uh, if you're not, go ahead and try to subscribe, rate, review, subscribe would be great. Um, you can definitely do that through iTunes or whatever podcast thing you use. Um, we will be back in two weeks with a movie, and once we know it, we'll let you know so you can try to watch. Um, we'll probably try to keep some sort of summer trend going. Yes, we are. Um, to just hold on to this summer for as long as we can, because we love summer and uh yeah just if you want to if you can reach out to us on twitter at screaming cast or i'm at ryan larson b is at b not b that's b-e-e not b-e-a and we've been doing a lot more of like um, our instagram stories b usually tends to capture me doing something embarrassing yeah so if you catch us on instagram stories um and then i think we do have an announcement Oh, yeah. So B and I will be at Midsummer Scream. Yes. Um, so if you're going to be, it's at Long Beach. It's the last weekend of July. We're going to be there both days. We will have some Keep Screaming merch um, that will be free. Yes. Um, we're not selling it at all, but definitely find us. If you Reach find out us, and find us. Or Say hi, get a sticker or a button. Yeah. Um, we'll be us. hanging out. We'll be around. I mean, if you want to tweet at us or Facebook us or whatever and just ask where we're going to be, feel free um or if you want any merch let us know and maybe we can send it out your way that'd be cool um but we'll be out we'll be hanging around we're gonna try to enjoy it and catch shockwaves live and you know get get people to know about keep screaming have fun so yeah uh we will definitely be there and we'll make sure to keep tweeting about that so you know we're gonna be there too so uh thanks for listening yet again and until next week keep screaming